Welcome to the Dietitian Connection podcast, a show about nutrition, dietitians, and their success stories. Through our conversations with nutrition leaders, we aim to inspire you, to connect you with like-minded colleagues, to innovate and push you out of your comfort zone, to create robust debate, to encourage lifelong learning, and to empower you to create more impact as a dietitian. Dietitian Connection acknowledges the traditional owners of land and waters this podcast is recorded on. Welcome to the Dietitian Connection podcast. I'm Brooke Delfino from Dietitian Connection and I'm an accredited practicing dietitian. This podcast is not and is not intended to be medical advice, which should be tailored to your individual circumstances. This podcast is for your information only, and we advise that you exercise your own judgment before deciding to use the information provided. Professional medical advice should be obtained before taking action. In today's episode, we're taking a deep dive into the rising interest in plant-based diets. We'll explore what plant-based actually means and uncover some of the latest evidence behind the health benefits associated with diets high in plant proteins. We're joined by Dr. Courtney Thompson, who will delve into the global shift towards prioritising plant proteins in dietary guidelines, including the Australian Dietary Guidelines, which are currently under review. And finally, we're going to share practical strategies to seamlessly integrate more plants into even the fussiest meat eaters' diets. Dr. Courtney Thompson is a registered nutritionist with a PhD in public health nutrition. She works as a lecturer in nutrition and dietetics at the University of the Sunshine Coast, where her research interests include how food literacy interlinks with dietary patterns, food security, and impacts on the broader food system. Courtney is also the director of NPR Consulting, where she leads nutrition research, education sessions, and assists in policy submissions for non-government and food industry organizations. She's a fellow of the Higher Education Academy, and a member of the Nutrition Society of Australia Communications Portfolio. Welcome to the Dietitian Connection podcast, Courtney. Thanks, Brooke. Lovely to be here. We're going to dive straight in. We've got heaps to cover today. I'm really excited to talk about this topic, and I know there's lots of people really interested in it. So we can't deny this interest in uh, plant-based diets, and it's growing. But let's start really simply. What does the term plant-based actually mean? Yeah, that's a great question. So plant-based diets mean that most of the food that you're consuming comes from plant sources, such as fruits, vegetables, whole grains, legumes, beans, nuts and seeds. Um, but I think a you know real common misconception is that a plant-based diet just means vegan diet, when in fact, it's quite a broad term that really covers anything from, yes, a vegan diet to including moderate amounts of animal-based products. I think that's really important to clear up first and foremost, because yeah. there is this as you said, misconception that plant-based means vegan or even vegetarian, but it can in fact mean a little bit of meat in there, but mostly around plant, plant-based foods. Yeah, exactly. Thank you for clarifying that. Plant proteins are of particular interest in the world of plant-based diets. Can you remind us what kinds of foods fit into the plant protein category and how does this compare with animal protein? And then I guess, what is a serve? What counts as a serve of either? 
Yeah, definitely. Um, so plant proteins are quite diverse and can include anything from beans to chickpeas, lentils, nuts and seeds, and tofu. And in terms of a serve, the current Australian dietary guidelines are one cup. So that's 150 grams of cooked or canned legumes and beans. So that's your lentils, your chickpeas, your split peas, 170 grams of tofu and 30 grams of nuts seeds and then those sort of nut butters, tahini, other sort of spreads and pastes. And then when we're thinking about animal proteins, that includes things like meat, poultry, fish, and a serve of that is 65 to 100 grams, and that's the raw weight. Then we've got eggs and a serve is two large eggs. And then we've got dairy as well. So that's 250 ml of milk, two slices of cheese, and 200 grams of yogurt. So, you know, the amounts really vary there. <laughs> That's right. Depending on on the on the type of food, which is great. It's good to have these um, guidelines, which I'm sure many dietitians are very aware of. Yeah. Let's talk about research for a little bit because there is a lot of research to show that eating more plant proteins is a good thing for our health. What does the latest evidence say about dietary patterns that are high in plant proteins? Yeah, so um, the NHMRC recently had a call for evidence around this topic area. So in response, I conducted a systematically searched umbrella review to find evidence on the relationship between plant-based dietary patterns, plant proteins, legume and bean consumption, and chronic disease risk and outcomes in adults. So we found 75 articles that were identified in the literature with research that had been undertaken with that adult population. Um, and in terms of the plant-based dietary patterns, there were 15 research studies which found that dietary patterns high in plant proteins, things like a Mediterranean diet, are beneficial for all age groups because it really is inversely associated with a number of things like inflammation, age-related macular degeneration, cancer, cardiovascular and all-cause mortality, as well as other types of cancers. We've got breast, colorectal, head and neck, respiratory, gastric, bladder and liver. Um, it also reduces the risk of Alzheimer's disease, dementia, type 2 diabetes, bone mineral density and high blood pressure while increasing self-rated health and quality of life. Now, in terms of more specific plant protein and legume bean consumption outcomes, we did find four research articles which reported that adequate consumption of plant proteins was associated with lower pro-inflammatory markers, so reducing the risk of, again, type 2 diabetes, gastric cancer, cardiovascular disease, and glycemic control parameters in adults with and without type 2 diabetes. So pretty substantial benefits for eating more plant proteins there. It's very, very compelling evidence, I think, for eating more plant proteins, which leads us to the question, what happens to health outcomes when we replace animal proteins with plant proteins? Mm. Uh, so within that uh, systematic review, there were four recent research studies which reported that the substitution of animal protein with plant protein is associated with lower cardiovascular disease mortality, all-cause mortality, and type 2 diabetes incidence in adults. There was a single research study which found that dairy protein may increase the risk of prostate cancer in men, um, but that was in those who consumed more than 30 grams per day. But we didn't see that same relationship for other animal or plant proteins. We do also see some research in younger populations where protein intake, particularly of animal origin, is associated with higher BMI and asthma risk. While these relationships weren't found for plant proteins, but we really do need more research in this space. When we're thinking about our mid to older adults, there was a recent research study which found that plant protein intake is associated with higher odds of healthy ageing too, which highlights those you know, really positive impacts across all life stages for the consumption of plant protein. Lots of evidence there and lots of different age groups and life stages. 
uh, and and lots of different health conditions really in favour of, you know, increasing plant consumption. Yeah. Is this research related to plant and animal proteins being taken into account with the review of the Australian Dietary Guidelines? And if so, how is it so? Mm. Um, so plant protein rich foods, so that's tofu, nuts and seeds, legumes and beans, were identified as priority topics, particularly in relation to the five key areas they had there. The first one is around protein intake from plant-based sources versus protein intake from animal sources. The second one was high intake of plant foods versus a low intake of plant foods. The third one was a high intake of animal foods versus a low intake of animal foods. Um, the fourth one was dairy versus dairy alternative. And the fifth one was a high intake of legumes and pulses versus a no to low intake of legumes and pulses. And so this was determined through scoping activities that were undertaken by the National Health and Medical Research Council and supported by the Dietary Guidelines Expert Committee. So these scoping activities included a range of different things from, you know, reviewing international food-based dietary guidelines that had been published since the Australian Dietary Guidelines came out in 2013. Um, it also included food-based advice from Australian health organisations, topics and themes in the media. There were a lot of stakeholder surveys um, using around, you know, people using the guidelines for their work, but also targeted surveys of organisations working with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. Um, and they did conduct a literature search to identify systematic uh, reviews that were published in the 12 months up to December 2020 on topics relevant to the guidelines. And that was around the risk of chronic disease, dietary patterns and associations with health outcomes. So, you know, while the evidence is being collated in this space in preparation for the revised Australian Dietary Guidelines, the extent to which proteins are prioritised in the guidelines is still unknown. So to watch this space and wait and see a little bit, but we know that <laughs> yep. it's a focus area. Um, yes. And I know we're all very eager to see these updated guidelines. And you mentioned there that as part of this, they're reviewing international food-based dietary guidelines. So we're noticing that many dietary guidelines around the world have shifted their focus to recommending more plant proteins uh, in those guidelines. Can you share some of the latest global guidelines that hero plant proteins and the reasons for this change? Yeah, definitely. And you're right, we really have seen this transition in the last, in particular, eight years where dietary guidelines really are focusing more on plant protein. So it started with Public Health England in 2018, um, which stated to you know eat more beans and pulses and eat less red and processed meat. And then we saw these recommendations then implemented in Canada and other European countries. So in the Canadian dietary guidelines, that looked like trying to choose protein foods that come from plants every day and including foods such as beans, lentils, nuts, and seeds. While in the Danish dietary guidelines in 2021, they recommended to eat plant-rich, varied, and not too much, while also eating less meat and consuming legumes and fish. Then uh, most recently, we had the Nordic dietary guidelines in 2023, who followed suit, recommending pulses to be included as a significant part of the dietary pattern in Nordic and Baltic countries. And I guess there are two sort of main reasons for this. Um, and the first is increasing evidence to show the health benefits of plant-based proteins. And the second is the benefits of sustainable diets, both for human health, but also environmental health. And we see that, you know, the impacts of diet on environmental health as an evolving area. So in early February, there was a call for expressions of interest to join a sustainability working group, and they'll provide advice on the strength and quality of evidence about sustainability and diets to the Australian Diet Dietary Guidelines Expert Committee. 
Um, and according to the NHMRC website, they recognise that the revision of the guidelines is an opportunity to improve the integration of messages about food sustainability. So another one of those, watch that, watch this space. <laughs> it's a it's a huge area. Lots of work, I'm sure, you know, goes mm. into these. I think that's so interesting in the Nordic guidelines how the, the wording is important here you know they, they say it's a significant part of the dietary pattern you know so that will be such an interesting thing to see how that wording um, is used based on all the evidence uh, to try and encourage the increase of plant consumption um, and 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 whether that is a prior or how that is a priority for dietary patterns yeah absolutely so we know this research we know the the health benefits we know some of the environmental benefits the big question here is how do we actually get our clients to eat more plant proteins, things like beans and tofu? Um, yeah. As dietitians, it's something we we know the evidence. We probably eat them ourselves. Um, yep. Getting our clients and patients to do that can be a, a little bit more tricky. So mm. what are your top three tips that dietitians can perhaps pass on to their clients to help them increase their plant intake? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think the first one is that if clients think their families won't like them, they often just won't serve them without even sort of testing it first just to see. Um, but you can encourage your clients to sort of start small, integrate them into some family favourite dishes for starters, sort of, you know, get them open to the idea of trying a little bit more. Um, and then think about starting with like for like swaps. So if a client likes potato chips, things like roasted fava beans or chickpeas or nuts are a great alternative. Um, and you can buy them seasoned or you can prepare and season them yourself so they can be, you know, to your preferences and to your liking. Um, you could also swap something like scrambled eggs for scrambled tofu or chicken in a stir-fry dish for tofu, either plain or flavoured. Um, so you've got some options there. And then I think it's also about showing clients where to go for more information on how to use and prepare them. I think people often get a little bit stumped beyond, you know, putting legumes on top of a salad, you know, for what they can do with them. And there are some great campaigns like Beans is How and Chef's Manifesto where you can find, you know, great, tasty, family-friendly, delicious recipes using beans that really add variety um, to people's diet too. Absolutely. I think the key here is baby steps. Um, yes. <laughs> because, you know, there are certainly, I think your first point there was really interesting. There's people that think they don't like them, think that their families won't eat them if they serve it. It, yeah. it, it won't be, you know, appreciated or enjoyed. Um, yeah. So they just don't serve it, which is, you know, something that we need to address with clients mm. and patients. Um, yeah. The like for like swaps is a very clever way to do it. We use this in lots of different areas of um, behaviour change. Mm. Um, yeah. And then, of course, actually providing ideas and inspiration which we're going to talk about shortly but that is a really important part of the puzzle rather than simply explaining to our clients or telling them why they should do it but showing them how and that's so so important we can't forget that we talked a little bit about a barrier being maybe people thinking they don't like them what are some of the key barriers that people face when trying to eat more plant proteins and what are some of the ways we can help people overcome these Mm, yeah. So I think there's two sort of common key barriers that we see. I think the first one is concern about gastrointestinal discomfort. So think, you know, a gurgling stomach, gas, more frequent bowel movements. Um, but this can be avoided through rinsing your beans beforehand and through more of a slower introduction. 
So if your client consumes very low amounts of plant proteins, I wouldn't start by getting them to add two cups to every single meal every day because it's you know much harder to change opposed to them introducing it a bit more gradually. So start with a small serve, think about a quarter cup of cooked um, or canned legumes and beans per person at one meal, you know, one to two days per week and just, you know, introduce um, and increase the frequency from there. And then the second key barrier is really knowing about how to prepare them and, you know, knowing recipes to make with them. So for starters, think about key meals that um, they might, you or, you know, your clients might make with their family, uh, with meat, poultry or fish, and how you could halve this amount and substitute for a plant protein which is actually really cost-effective too, so a double win. <laughs> um, so, for example, think about half-half mince and lentils in a spaghetti bolognese or, you know, adding kidney beans in a burrito or a chili con carne, uh, you know, using half-half chicken for chickpeas in a salad or for split peas in a soup. And then for families, you know, when you've got jacket potatoes, you could add them with baked beans, toasted sandwiches with baked beans and cheese. While for older adults, we can think about things like, you know, lentil hot pots or pies, which are a great alternative to things like, um, you know, mince-based pie. And adding red lentils to soups, you know, pumpkin or sweet potato can really boost that plant protein content as well. Yeah, fantastic. Lots of great ideas there. And we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, recipes and culinary creations shortly. Mm. I think the advice about gastrointestinal discomfort is really important here. Um we talked about the what is a serve earlier and, you know, a cup uh, is a serve, um, yeah. but we certainly can't expect our clients and patients to get to that, especially if they're not having it enough, you know, at, at all, even in their uh -huh. diet. So that advice to start with a small serve, such as a quarter cup, um, you know, one or two times a week is such a nice introduction uh, likely to really reduce the the discomfort, the bloating that they might feel and to play around with different types there as well, um, you know, so that they can find something that they like is is very important. So I think that's a, something to highlight is to start slow. Yep. Uh, you know, remember that there might be people that have not really ever eaten these maybe for, for mm. many decades um, or young families that, have not introduced them. So we definitely want to start slow um, and help help the public understand how to how to cook with them and how to make them enjoyable and to taste good. Yeah, exactly. So going from there, you know, what are some staples of a plant-powered pantry and fridge? Where does somebody start if they're wanting to increase their consumption of plant proteins? And what can they stock up on today in the supermarket? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you can't go past canned dried beans. You know, the best part about plant proteins is how affordable they are and their long shelf life. Um, so things like baked beans, chickpeas, kidney beans, mixed beans, black beans, split peas, keep them in the pantry all ready to go. Um, it helps too, because if, you know, you're making a conventional recipe, um, you'll always get you know, out the ingredients and the spices when you're going to make it. And you'll sort of see the beans in the cupboard and go, oh, actually, I wonder about, you know, if there's a way that I can incorporate them there. Um, you know, and freeze the remainder of the sort of meat that you are going to use. Um, or, you know, if you're after a sort of healthy, flavoursome snack, it's getting toward the end of the week, um, you know, you've got something there ready to go. They go perfectly, you know, as a throw together with your leftovers, either as part of a breakfast or a dinner, you know, air frying them, they go along with everything. So, yeah, having a, a good stock of your canned beans is 
yeah, my top tip. <laughs> I think it's a great place to start. I, I think, you know, we talked about barriers and maybe another barrier is not knowing how to prepare them in terms of thinking, do you need to rinse them, soak them, boil them? You know, when we're talking about dried uh, beans and legumes and chickpeas and, and those sorts of things. So removing that element of just using canned legumes and, you know, we know that cost of living is a really big issue at the moment for many, yeah. many many people, many Australians and people around the world. Um, so, the, the you know, the, the cost effectiveness of, of canned uh, legumes is so important here. Uh, and yeah, having them in the shell in your in your pantry um, is a great way to to you you know see them and know that they're there and 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 remind yourself to use them. Um, and then of course you can experiment with more and increase you know your variety of nuts and seeds and nut butters and all those sorts of things as you start to increase your um, you know intake of plant proteins and plant foods. Uh, but I, I agree. I think canned legumes is a perfect place to start for some of those real staples if we're talking, you know, pantry staples, for example. Yeah. Let's talk about some recipes. We've already touched a little bit on some some favorite foods, but mm. let's talk about all different ways we can incorporate more plant proteins into our diets and how, you know, this is something that dietitians can take to their clients. Um, some of this stuff might be new. Some things might be, oh, that's a great reminder to, mm. to pass on. So yeah. how can we include more plant proteins at breakfast time? I feel like this is maybe a forgotten area uh, mm. that, we wouldn't think maybe that this is where you can add in plant proteins. So what are some suggestions that you have here? Yeah, definitely. Um, so if you're someone who likes, you know, cereal, muesli, yogurt, you can choose your favorite nuts and toast them to make a mix that you like that you can add on top um, of that breakfast. And then think about things, you know, like nut butters, anything from almond to peanut, and you can add that to your favorite cereal and muesli combos or think about adding it to chia puddings or even on toast. But if you like a hot breakfast, there's also things like tomato-based, um, you know, smoky baked beans with either chickpeas or butter beans on sourdough, a chickpea or white bean shakshuka, uh, black beans or kidney beans in a breakfast bean burrito, or even scrambled tofu with potatoes, kale and capsicum. So a few options for both a hot and cold breakfast there. Yum, lots and lots of options here. And, mm. you know, really ranging from very simple, you know, a nut butter on toast doesn't get any easier than that, yeah. um, to, you know, a hot breakfast, something you might maybe create maybe more on a weekend, um, like a, a smoky baked beans or homemade baked beans. And even tinned baked beans is a great one for, for speedy weekdays. Yeah. You know, I like your idea about, you know, your cereal, muesli and yogurt. You know, this is such a simple one. If you're already buying a, um, a packet of muesli, for example, a great way just to increase that variety of plant proteins is just to add in some extra nuts and seeds and uh, you know, mix nuts and seeds and experiment with different combinations and flavors. And everyone has, you know, preference for different things. I love cashews, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> but, you know, everyone likes something a little bit different and you yeah. can really make that mix and it, you know, boosts protein, it boosts variety. It's fantastic. It's a good way to do it. Um, yeah. And, you know, it can be a kind of cost-effective way of doing it by kind of creating your own mix as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And nice to pick and choose the things that you like. And yeah, also have that, you know, diversity of, oh, I, you know, usually this type of nut isn't in this mix. So now I get to try it for the first time. And it doesn't have to be as like buying a whole big bag of muesli, you get to mix it up yourself. <laughs> 
Definitely. I think it's a great, a great suggestion just to get someone started with, you know, increasing their variety. Mm. Let's talk lunch and dinner. So what are some options um, for these meals? You know, and obviously we, you talked about adding, a, you know, canned chickpeas or legumes or lentils or whatever it might be to a salad. Um, what, are yeah. some, what are some options that we can do here um, that can suit a range of different sort of, I guess, taste buds and flavour profiles? Yeah, yeah. I like to think about meals in terms of like, you know, spring and summer meals. So things that you might, you know, eat outside versus like, you know, warm, hearty sort of meals. So in terms of things like, you know, your spring or summer meals, lentil patties with your favorite burger toppings, adding kidney beans or mixed beans to, you know, your favorite Mexican burritos and tacos, falafel pita pockets, served with your favorite salad ingredients or roast vegetables. And then for something like an autumn or winter meal, you know, your family favourite spaghetti bolognese or lasagna with lentils, Indian dals with lentils or edamame, soups with red lentils, barley, butter beans or split peas. You know, you've got risottos with peas, white beans or cannellini beans, uh, pilaf with chickpeas, Mexican bean stuffed sweet potatoes. You can also top so many stir fries or curries with slivered almonds or cashews too. So a lot of options there. <laughs> lots and lots of options. And I do have to say, you know, we're obviously it's summer in Australia at the moment, but yep. you know, those autumn and winter meals really do lend themselves so beautifully to legumes and mm. lentils, you know, the, the dals and the Indian type meals. Um, one of my favourite things is soups, you know, pumpkin yes. soup. You just add in some red lentils and they basically, basically just dissolve into the soup, especially when you blend it up and, you know, cook it and blend it up. So it's yeah. a really nice one to sort of, it's a meal that you might already make. It doesn't really change the flavor or the texture, but you're mm. certainly boosting that nutritional value of, of a family favorite. Um, yeah. Speaking of, you know, keeping canned beans in the, in the pantry, I'm often adding a can of black beans or red kidney beans into my taco mints at the last minute. Um, just to stretch it a little bit further as well, you know, you can make a meal that might, might serve, you know, four people suddenly serve four people plus leftovers for lunch the next day simply by adding a very inexpensive can of beans. Um, something I noticed here is there's lots of different cuisines here. We're talking Indian, we're talking Italian style dishes like bolognese and minestrone soups, and we're talking Mexican here. You know, legumes really do lend themselves very well to a range of different cuisines and flavours. And uh, I think that's a great uh, advantage of, you know, really showcasing the versatility of these products because you can mm. use them anywhere. Yeah, exactly. You know, beans and legumes don't really have a strong flavour profile, so you can really add them to any of your favourite dishes for extra creaminess. So, you know, think butter beans in a pesto sauce or mashed potato and red lentils into pumpkin or sweet potato soup. So, you know, you can go wild, you know, chuck them into anything that you usually make and see how they go. You know, yeah, like I said, you know, they don't have that strong flavour profile, so you really can mix and match and see which ones suit the dishes as you make them. Absolutely. And I think a reminder here to let, you know, educate your clients, you know, for dietitians, educate your clients and your patients on how to cook these. You know, I think it's very easy for us to say, just throw it into um, a, you know, bolognese, um, but probably we'll need to be a little bit more specific about cooking times, when to add it, um, you know, if you cook quite a lot, you sort of know you can't really go too wrong with them. But mm -hmm. if you're 
a little bit hesitant or not as confident, it's really important to let them know, um, let your clients know the cooking times, when in the recipe to add them in, maybe a little bit about quantities as well. So you don't have somebody really, you know, changing the profile of a dish because they've maybe added a little bit too much. So just keep that in, in mind, I think, with mm. um, how we express this to our, our clients. And I think that comes back really nicely to the point about, you know, adding a quarter cup in, um, you know, that's a great way for people to start to, you know, just add a little bit into that recipe. So then, yeah, yeah. For people who are wanting to learn how to start, if they're not doing it you know, so yeah. often now. Yeah, exactly. And I think if we talk about ratios, they're really then one can for four people is a, a good starting place mm. um, to begin with. Um, and it kind of, it doesn't overwhelm the dish. So that's sort of a nice, easy ratio. But again, you might add, add a little bit more information for those that need it and mm. just hold their hand a little bit along the way until they get a little bit more comfortable with it. Yeah. So we've got some great suggestions for breakfast, lunch and dinner, but let's talk about snacks because I think this is an area that <laughs> is forgotten for, mm. you know, really boosting nutrition here. We think about maybe some other foods for snacks and not plant proteins and not legumes and lentils. Mm. What are some yeah. suggestions of how we can incorporate plant proteins into snack foods? Mm, yep. So nuts and seeds are great snacks by themselves, um, but they're also great in things like muffins, either, you know, banana or berry muffins. Think, you know, baked into muesli bars or in cookies um, as a nut butter with carrots, banana or apple. And then things like chickpeas are also great. So either roasted or in a hummus served with vegetables, you know, smashed on crackers with avocado. So they do lend themselves really nicely to snacks there as well. And quite simple options here. You know, these don't require, mm. there's a little bit of baking in here and, and things like that, but a handful of nuts and seeds in a trail mix is a really simple snack. Um, mm. A sliced up apple with some nut butter is a very easy snack on the go. You know, a two ingredient snack really so yeah. again suiting a range of different um cooking levels or you know levels in terms of preparation and time mm. uh because that's one thing we can often say you know whip up a batch of lovely um you know we see all these recipes for black bean black bean brownies and chickpea mm. you know, cakes and things like that but that can be yeah. a little bit tricky for some people so um mm. some very simple options there as well which is fantastic yeah I think we've covered a lot of culinary options here. I hope that people feel inspired themselves. I know I do, um, mm. but I hope there is some inspiration here to pass on to your clients and to your patients to just help them add those little bit of extra plant proteins in every, every day, every week, um, starting small. Let's wrap up here. So what are the top three messages that you would like dietitians to take away from today's podcast about plant proteins? Um, so firstly, I would say that uh, obviously health benefits in eating a diet high in plant protein. So it's never too late to start. You know, you don't eat any now. There's always an opportunity to slowly integrate them into your diet. And then, you know, my second tip would then be start with those like-for-like -like swaps. You know, it's a way to get your client used to the flavor, the texture and consistency of different legumes and beans. And then the third one is just to make sure you're supporting your clients um, around those serving sides, sizes just to avoid that gastrointestinal discomfort as well. So they do have a good experience um, as they try, you know, these legumes and beans and things for the first time and want to incorporate them um, in their diet into the future. Great advice. That was really helpful. And I think three really simple tips to finish with. So thank you very much for your time today, Courtney. 
And you have covered a lot of research in here today. So we will add the links to the reference papers in the show notes. So there'll be plenty of additional reading um, to have a look at, you know, all of that evidence that you did discuss earlier. And a very big thank you to Sanitarium for supporting today's podcast. Thank you very much, Courtney. Thanks so much, Brooke. To get all of the links and resources we discussed in this episode, you can go to dietitianconnection.com slash podcasts. And if you'd like to support the Dietitian Connection podcast, please leave a review and a rating on the Apple Podcasts app. Tell us what you thought of this episode, what you learnt, and share your guest requests for us to consider for future episodes. We value hearing from you and we really appreciate your feedback. So please, please hit that review button.